I am very happy to be joined today by Hokan Agneval, President and CEO of Vertsila Corporation. Hokan joined Versilla in early 2021. Prior to that, he had spent seven years at ABB in the high voltage cables and the robotics areas, followed by four years at Bombardier Transportation, and then eight years as the president of Volvo Bus Corporation. Now, unsurprisingly, given the pervasive technology dimensions of these companies, Hokan holds a master in engineering physics. He is also, and we're very proud of that, a graduate of IMD's MBA program, class of 2000. Welcome, Hokan. We're delighted to have you with us today. Thank you, Jean-François. Pleasure to be here. It's a privilege to be here. So now, Vertsila is a global leader in innovative technologies and life cycle solutions for the marine and energy markets. It has a long history, 188 years, strong Finnish roots, but now operating globally, more than 200 locations and 68 countries. 17,000 plus employees and about 5 billion euro of revenues in 2021. Now, let me repeat this. Global leader in innovative technologies and life cycle solutions for the marine and the energy markets. Now, I know that this translates into four business units. Can you give us a feel for what these business units do? So, basically, we have two industries that we are serving. We have the marine side, we have the energy side. On the marine side, we have three business units. One business unit is focusing on the heart of the vessel. It's about the engine, the driveline, the propulsion systems. Another business unit is focusing on surrounding systems and for special applications like handling gas on gas vessels, handling exhaust treatment, handling ship automation and shaft solutions. The third business unit on the marine side is all about digital solution. It's our voyage business. And it's about fleet optimization systems. There is so much potential in digitalizing the marine ecosystem. And this division is focusing on that. And then we have the fourth very important division, and, and that is our energy division that provides dispatchable power plants and, and energy storage for, for the energy sector. Now, if I have understood correctly, I read, of course, a little bit about, about these businesses, you have special value propositions in each. So what I've understood is that on the, on the energy side, you are helping energy producers to move to renewable energies, but renewable energies tend to be less continuous than fossil fuels. And so you are helping to develop balanced and flexible systems. Did I get this right? Uh, that's correct. I mean, you could say, if we're going to have the slightest chance to reach the Paris Agreement goals, we need to shift the, the, the global energy uh, system to renewables. And you could say, to the major way forward is wind and solar. And wind and solar will grow exponentially in the coming decade. However, wind and solar, they're intermittent. I mean, the sun doesn't always right. shine, not even in Lausanne, and, and, and the wind doesn't always blow. And then it, this is when you need the balancing power. And this is where we come in with our dispatchable power to balance the whole grid so we can grow renewables and still have a stable power system. So it's a key enabler for, for, for decarbonizing the whole energy system. Understood. And on the marine side, you're building, of course, highly efficient engines, but you've always done that. But now you also have to make these engines more flexible in terms of fuel composition. If I understand correctly, you're saying, look, we don't know yet which future fuel 
which fuel will dominate in the future, and, and maybe we will have different solutions in different parts of the world. And so I guess the solution is to design flexibility into the engine. Uh, you're right, and, and you could say the marine sector in the coming 10 years will go through a revolution. It's all centered around decarbonization, driven by, both by regulatory forces, but also by market forces. And then the avenue going forward is different type of green fuels, uh, I mean carbon neutral or zero carbon fuels, and it's blending. It will not be a digital shift. So therefore, you need flexible engines, flex flexible drivelines that you can convert. Nobody wants to be stuck with stranded assets, and this is where flexibility and energy efficiency will be so important. Especially because these boats tend to last for 25, 30 years. That's correct. And, okay. and, and these are significant capital investments, and, and you really need to... Uh, you could say future-proof them, make them convertible, upgradable, so you can follow the transition that will come. Understood. Now, you're working on the energy and the marine sectors. To what extent are there synergies between these two sectors? Could you have been one or the other? Are some of your competitors one or the other? Or are there clear synergies between the two? Well, if you look at some of our core technology, it evolves around our engines, piston engines. Today, or in the past, we have worked with fossil fuel. The fossil fuel will be there for many, many years. But now the green fuels will come. It's same, you could say, the same base technology that we are now taking into the next era, where we can convert them into green fuels, but the core evolves around this. And, and, and the applications, there are two applications, both on the marine side and on the energy side. And where we, we have the synergies is on the R&D side, because we evolve, we can use the same technology. Okay. It's all, also industrial system, because we can manufacture this, this type of equipment in the same system. And it's also on the services side, because a service engineer, service technician can serve both energy and the marine installations. Your competitors on the marine side, do they also have an energy business? Many of them do, most okay. of them do, yes. Okay. Mm. Now, let me focus on services in this portfolio. Today, I think services account for more than 50% of Verzilla's revenue. And of course, the development of recurrent revenues has been a huge objective for many companies that until then were generating one-off revenues by selling products. Now, similarly, many companies are trying to move from selling products and services to selling solutions. But many of them are struggling to do though so effectively and or profitably. So, I know that some of this work occurred prior to you joining Verzilla, but can you walk us through Verzilla's progression from products to services to solutions? What were some of the challenges and how did you or how are you overcoming them? So, so when we talk about, our, I think strategically about our service business, we talk about moving up the service value ladder. And, and there are four steps in this ladder. The first step is the spare pot business and, and the service hour. The second part is different type of agreements on yearly maintenance. Third step is it's about retrofit, upgrading old equipment to new equipment, in the future also to green equipment. And then we have the fourth step, and that is the performance-based agreements. Okay. And this is where we sign up long-term agreements over several years, making commitments on fuel consumptions, uptime and reliability. And we are working very actively with each of these four steps. Now, the challenges and opportunities is if we look on the performance base, and I think if you're going to manage that, it's about de-risking 
your commitment and right. you need data to do that. So we are really leveraging our data capabilities in you know, getting all the information about our installations and then work with proactive maintenance, proactive measures. So it's, it's to combine our, you know, you could say in-depth engine technology, vessel technology with the latest on artificial intelligence and, and deep machine learning. If we look at the first step, which is about the spare pot sailing. You can say we've been selling spare pots for many, many years. Sure. But I mean, now with new digital uh, tools, we can work with a much broader set of customers. So we can, we can leverage, and I think that's really exciting. Digital solutions is really a key enabler for us to de-risk and grow our service business. Other challenges when growing services is of course to attract the right people. Right, because those are folks with skills that are different than the ones you normally have. You need uh, top-notch leaders, and you need top-notch, very handsome service uh, right. engineers, and then you need data analysts. And to get this secret source together, and on top of that, have a layer of a great culture with a customer-oriented mindset, that secret source is not so easy to get to work. And I'm not saying that we have found a solution to it, but we are certainly on the move. Okay. Now, innovation is critical to Virgilla's success, and one of your key decisions in this area has been the funding and the construction and the launch of a smart technology hub, which you've described as the biggest investment, largest investment for Vezilla ever. Please tell us what you're hoping this smart technology hub will achieve and, and why you decided to create it. Uh, first of all, the smart technology hub, is, it's a site where we bring together all the different functions in Vezilla. So we are trying to break the silos by putting engineering, supply, manufacturing, testing together, working cross-functionally. It's also a, a top-notch site laboratory testing for the new fuels, for the new green technologies. So, so of course we are creating new opportunities to really drive and lead and to be on the very cutting edge of, of technology. And finally, it's also about working in and trying out new ways of working uh, with open innovation bringing in our suppliers, our partners, our customers, university academia, and see how we can speed up the innovation. Because speed is of essence in this era of, of rapid technology change. And we all know coming to market in a controlled, but in a fast way, there is tremendous value, not only for customer, but also for creating shareholder value. So it's also looking at how can we reduce the lead time of the whole innovation process by collaborating more tightly internally and also externally with, with relevant stakeholders. Correct. How easy or difficult is it to bring external stakeholders into this process? I think it's a learning process. We are learning and the external stakeholders are learning. It, it, so it's a little bit of trial and error. Uh, I think you, you, you need to start with a belief and ambition and intention, also with a, an open dialogue, candid uh, dialogue, and then you take it step by step. So the small technology hub is, is, is one example of how we work in a network. Another very interesting example is the SEEDS initiative, where we have come together with a number of stakeholders in the marine ecosystem, many of them located in Norway, on how we develop ammonia as, as a green fuel. And this is having a corporation that is not so much initially based on formal agreements, but, but opening up, have, building trust, and then working in this system of trust 
to accelerate innovation. We are learning and our partners are learning, but so far it, it, it seems very interesting and encouraging. I'm listening to you and you mentioning the word trust several times already. Of course, what's also going through my mind is, okay, so, so we sit around the table, and even if it's a metaphorical table, and we discuss with various partners, we all contribute IP. Is there a concern that somehow we're giving more than we're receiving, that if we give them ideas, they will capture the value? Because in, in a value chain, the, the value capture is not always allocated, uh, you know, kind of evenly. Are there concerns or? There, there is always concerns and there is maturity, but I think there is also balancing that because it's a balance. There is a strategic intent and a strategic direction, recognizing that if we want to move ahead, if we want to move with speed, and if we want to develop new markets with significant business potential, we need to find new ways of working because if we don't, they will not evolve. And then we don't create the value that we could unlock. So there's a bit of a leap of faith, and then there's this trust building uh, and there are, uh, work. There are the days where you take two steps forward, and there are the days that you take one step back. Okay. But in general, I think it's moving in an interesting direction, and it's a learning job. Now, in fact, you have, come to think of it, your own trade-offs to manage, right? So for example, you have a storage business, an energy storage business, which at least when I read about it, was not yet profitable. And more generally, Vertila is, is involved in a lot of important activities for the world. As we said, you're proposing solutions to help move toward a more, toward a carbon neutral world. And so deal, help the world deal with this climate change emergency. But your stock price is, is not yet exactly rewarding all of these efforts. So how do you think of and, and how do you manage the pressure on you to achieve greater financial performance today versus the belief that if you continue to invest here or there, you'll generate more profit and more benefits for society later. I mean, you're right that a lot of the technology investments that we, we are making today, it will take years for them to come to fruition and, and come to the market, and, and therefore we will ripe the, the, the financial benefit. But it's always, as a listed company, it, it's not uh, long or short term, it's both. And I think here for us, a key opportunity more short-term is to work with our service business, moving up the service value ladder, growing all the steps of the service value ladder. So we are trying to manage both, both the long-term and the short-term. Are you under pressure to produce more in the short-term? Well, I, I think we have a great support from owners and, and, and the board. You know, we have a financial plan, we have communicated our targets, and we are moving in the right direction. Then, of course, the macro environment these days includes a lot of uncertainties, but I think we are very well positioned for the future. And, and short term, we see our service business evolving in a very positive way. Okay. But I think one important point that you mentioned is, is shareholders and board. And I, I guess there's also some upward management on your side to make sure that they remain very confident in the pathway. Yes. And, and when it comes to stock prices, I have learned as a CEO, I, I focus on, on customers, on the team and performance and then the stock market makes it magic. So the way we discuss this at IMD, I'm glad you mentioned this, I often say I manage people, processes and activities, and I don't manage outcomes. And I guess that's another way of, of phrasing this. Uh, Hakan, let me turn to you now on a more personal basis. You had led divisions before getting to this position, but this is really the first time that you're the CEO of a listed company. You're now going 18 months on the job, 
What has surprised you or struck you the most about, about the CEO position of a listed company? Well, if I reflect, I, I the biggest surprise is that there are no big surprises, I would say, in a humble way. Of course, as a CEO of a publicly listed company, you spend even more time on communication and communicating, of course, with a new uh, set of stakeholders in a more active way, the investors, the boards, etc. Otherwise, I think the similarities are, there are more similarities than, than differences. differences. I enjoy the communicative uh, part of, of my job both for the external and also the internal side. And I, as a CEO, I think communication is an, a key area where you spend a lot of time. At least I try to do it. Did you always want to be the CEO of a large international company or is this an ambition that came as, as you were going along? Well, if you look at, at, at my path, there are a couple of elements that I have always looked for. I looked for, for change and transformational opportunities. It might sound a little bit, you know, Everybody would say this these days, but it, you know, if I go back since I graduated from IMD, I, I've been consciously looking for those transformational and, and, and change opportunities. Why? Because these are opportunities where you really feel you can make a difference. You invest a lot of yourself, your passion, your time, but you can also see you know, the results coming together in a team and changing things. I, I think that's a great source of inspiration, has always been for my, myself. It's a bit bigger than life sometimes. Another element, I've always been looking for the international global context, working in different cultures. I've had the privilege to work and live in different countries. I always liked that element. And then the third element I've been looking for is I've been looking to lead businesses with a lot of technology content. Because what really excites me is this intersection between technology, people and society. And this was also a major attractor for me coming to Vatsala, because as I said, there's gonna be a lot of things technology shift and, and, and business shift the coming 10 years. And it's all really centered around the decommunization transformation. So what I'm hearing is, yes, I had a certain degree of ambition, but I'm also choosing industries and situations that, that are a good match or a good fit for me. Yeah, and I, I think the key for me has been to, to enter contents where you think, uh, you feel you can make a difference not chasing maybe the CEO title. I think that has come through the years, but seeking those opportunities where you, with your experience, your knowledge and, and your cultural fit, you can really see and feel. And of course you need to take a leap of faith, but here I can make a difference. I can contribute in an interesting context. Does that mean that there have been over the years, maybe one or two or three opportunities where you said, eh, thank you, but no? Yeah, there, there has been, I mean, I think we all need to be humble, but, but there have been opportunities where the timing hasn't been right or the context has not been right. Yes, there has been. So again, the, the point I'm getting is the importance of the fit yeah. and of being honest with yourself and saying, here I can make a big difference. Now, how would you describe yourself as, as a leader? If, if I worked for you, mm. how would I experience you? What would, what would strike me? I, I think if you asked my management teams and my teams... But they're not here, no, so no, I have to I mean, ask they, you. Yeah, no, for sure. That, I think they would say a lot of energy and, and, and a lot of passion, uh, commitment. I think another area is structure and logic, facts on the table. And, and then I think a third element, team, team, team. You, you, you lose as a team, you win as a team, and we know that from IMD, with a great team, you can move the world. Is there a shadow side uh, to Hakan Agneval? Is there a dark side? 
Well, I think as a leader, I think we need to be authentic. Trying to put on a mask or play a game, sooner or later it cracks and, yeah. and then your credibility is gone. So, so yeah, what you get is what you see. I mean, like any uh, professional human beings, there are days when the sun is shining extra and there are days when, when you ask yourself, am I doing the right things? But in a similar way that I think most of us do. And how do you handle these moments of doubt when you say, am I doing the right thing? Well, I, I think you push through. Sometimes it's time to reflect and then you do. Sometimes when you move beyond motivation, it's about discipline and executing. And of course, finding the right balance yes. between, is this one where I push through because I'm persistent or is this one where I should reflect? Otherwise I'm stubborn. I guess it's not always easy to determine. No. And that's the balance we all have to strike. Huh? Being the CEO of an international company, especially nowadays, is, is extremely demanding. Enormous pressure, cognitive pressure, emotional pressure, also energy demands. And so making sure that you remain at peak performance, uh, I'm sure, can be simple. Mm -hmm. What are some of the practices, maybe some of the rituals, but what are some of the practices and principles that, that you try to apply to keep yourself at a high performance? I mean, physically and mentally. We start with the physically. I, 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 I try to exercise and, and keep myself reasonably fit with, you know, swimming, running, and bicycling, etc. I think that has always been very important for me to clear your brains and you feel better, more harmonic. On the mental side, I think, you know, taking time for, for reflection, taking time to, to, to recharge sometimes. Also, be careful with your sleep. I've learned through the years I need sleep to have quality in my decision-making and interactions. So, so uh, yeah. I think those are some of the, of the key elements for me. Indeed, evidence shows that we have a lot of executives that are chronically sleep-deprived, mm. and they don't notice how detrimental it is to their decision-making, but research shows that very, very quickly sleep deprivation hampers uh, the quality of our decision-making. And, and I think key, because this is a constant challenge in, in senior executive roles, because your agenda is full and there is always things pulling you in different directions. And, and I, think, I think for me, two critical elements, razor sharp on prioritization. You need constantly to ask yourself, why are you doing this? Is this benefiting overall? And is this giving you the greatest lever on your time? I mean, the, you know the expression, don't boil the ocean. I mean, focus where you can have. So be razor sharp on the prioritization. And another element for us all as senior leaders, including myself, never forget the people and your team. Stop, listen to people, talk to people, interact with people, because it's so easy to get distracted into the next strategy, to the next board meeting, and then we run constantly. We need to stop and be there for our people. And, and this is challenging, I know that, but that is something I'm working with. You use the word prioritize, a sharp prioritization. Prioritize sometimes is used to mean I had 15 priorities and I reshuffled the numbers. I think when you say sharp prioritization, it sounds like there's something that you say this and this and this I will not do. Does that mean you say you say no quite a bit? Well, you need to do that. You need to park things. I mean, and I think when you do your prioritization, because you need and you fo focus on the vital five or six or seven or three, I think you need to be open with, with your team about why you prioritize and also that the elements that you're the things, the activities you don't prioritize, put them on the parking lot. But I, I think 
having the guts to prioritize is, is very important. And, and we also know uh, from our operationals training, don't put too many smileys in the pipe. Don't try to do too, th too much in parallel because the lead time becomes very long. Prioritize, do things faster, and, and then you will get more things done. Focus in order to achieve more speed. Yes. One last question, Hokan. You, you graduated from the IMD MBA in 2000, so that's 22 years ago. And I'm sure that some of the qualities that you have today were, were already apparent then. But what have you improved on since then? In what area is uh, Hokan Agnewald 2022 either a more effective leader or maybe even a better human being than Hokan Agnewald 2000? I think that 22 years later, I have a broader perspective. I, I've, I have had a broader and longer set of experience. I made more mistakes, hopefully learned from them. So, so a broader perspective, I would say. Another element, maybe a more nuanced perspective. You have, you have seen more and, and, and you have experienced more and, 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 and reality gets more complex and therefore you're more nuanced, so to say. More humble because of that. So I think those are some of the key elements. The, the, what goes as a red thread, for me at least, is the curiosity. And, and, and that's still there. And that has been a driving force for me. Understanding how technology works, how people, how society works. That's still there for me, which I'm very happy about. I, I still, after spending hours and hours, days and days in, in, in flying around the world, meeting customers and people, I still find it very exciting. And, and, and that's a key driver for me still to this day, which I'm very happy about. Is there one aspect of your, of your leadership behavior that you're working on consciously, where you're, you're kind of monitoring yourself, or are you able to, to operate without much self-monitoring? No, I think you need to, to, to reflect, uh, self-reflect, and do that in a structured way. And I'm, I'm, I'm still working on my prioritization, Okay. And, and, and I'm still also working on and spending more time with people, spending more time on the informal dialogue. I think these are some that well, I'm looking at myself, you know, look there. Thank you very, very much for your time, Hakan. The world needs to progress much faster, as you said earlier, toward carbon neutrality. And of course, Godzilla has a number of technologies and capabilities to help us do so. We wish you great success personally and also to your organization. Thank you again for Thank your you. time. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Jean-François. It's a pleasure.